Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how's it going? Laz, I'm doing well. We are so close to the end of this season, my friend. What a ride it has been, to say the least. Four more games. Four more games. And then we get to watch the playoffs and enjoy basketball again. (laughs) But uh, this week we put out the call for a mailbag. We wanted to see how you guys, the listeners, were feeling about the end of the season. So thank you to everyone who submitted questions. We were trying to get through all of them. So we'll get started with uh, at Crusader Teal, the Teal Crusader. Cade leads all rookies with a 27.5 usage rate. It's good for 23rd in the league. He assumes it's going to go up next year. Do you think Cade's usage rate ends up in the Steph Curry range, around like 30%, or more in the Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young, Luka Doncic range, where it's like 35 34%, Ben? Super interesting question. Well, I think it depends on a couple of things. First of all, I would say his usage rate is is high, obviously because he's a solid player, but also because the Pistons have had um, a, a lack of talent surrounding him. We've had mm-hmm. guys in and out of the lineup. We've had injuries. We've had COVID. And Cade uh, has taken a lot on his shoulders in the midst of all of that. So I, I would say I could see it going in two directions. It depends on what the team does with the roster this off season. You know, obviously if we land a top three pick and whoever we end up taking is capable of shouldering some of that offense, I can see that usage rate sort of staying, staying somewhat flat to be perfectly honest. So, you know, you add a top lottery pick, you add a couple free agents who are, are quality players and, and maybe Cade doesn't have to shoulder as much of the scoring. And we see a little bit more of the facilitating and creation that he's already very solid at. Um, but if, if we were chooses to slow play it a little bit and we don't get lucky in the lottery, yeah, I could see that ticking up a little bit. I will say the one thing is depending on, you know, where you're getting your usage rate from, it can vary a little bit. So like NBA.com versus basketball reference, for example, sometimes you can see those numbers fluctuate a little bit. Um, and then the other thing I'll mention is turnovers. Like if his turnovers, I think actually have leveled out quite a bit over the course of the season but if his turnover rate drops you also have to consider that his usage rate is going to drop and that doesn't necessarily reflect a decrease in role that reflects an increase in efficiency so yeah I think it depends a lot on the the rest of the roster and I think it depends a lot on um, you know how much he's able to control some of those just silly unnecessary turnovers that he sometimes has he just loses the ball in a spin or he makes just a bad pass and I expect some of those to go down over time the the call out about turnovers being part of usage is a good one i think because um like potential assists or assists that are not converted are not considered part of usage Mm. right like usage is only if you make the shot it's not if you if you miss it so the like an elevated level of talent around him i think will help in that department you're right ben but i do think you won't get the most out of Cade by pushing him to like Luka Doncic, Trey Levels, levels of usage. I think uh, st- the the question mentioned Steph Curry. Devin Booker is another guy who's like hovering at like a 30 slash slightly above 30% usage rate uh, over the last couple of seasons. And I think that's how you best leverage Cade. 
is not to overtask him through, you know, all 48 minutes of the game, especially since we want him to be effective on defense, right? Like that's one thing that um, guys who operate with that level of usage normally get dinged for as well is that, um, you know, Trey is a small dude, but he, you know, doesn't bring effort defensively. Same thing with Donovan Mitchell. I think he's picked it up lately, but like that has also been a thing that's been a critique of Donovan Mitchell in the past. Uh, Luka Doncic, another guy who's, um, I think Dallas is good at defense, but no one would confuse Luka for like an excellent point of attack defender. Um, And so I think if you want to get the most out of Cade on both ends, you should probably avoid like a 35% usage rate for Cade Cunningham. Um, Yeah, I think that, I think that's fair. We can move on to the next question. Next question comes from our good friend, Bryce Simon at Motor City Hoops. He asks, how confident are you that what we have seen from Killian from the past two weeks will carry over into next season? And if it does, does that mean he moves back into the starting lineup? So that's a two-part question, Ben. But uh, let's talk about the first one first. How confident are you that Killian's play over the last two weeks is something that's for good and going to transition into next season? So I think it's more likely than not that we're seeing some real improvement from Killian. I really do think that giving him some time where he's not sharing the point guard responsibilities with Cade has allowed him to blossom in some of his own skill sets, which overlap with Cade that we don't necessarily see when Cade has the ball. Right. So, you know, Cade is using almost 30% of the possessions that, that limits the amount uh, that Killian's going to be effective if they're playing together. So I, I'm going to put like a 70% number on this, which I think is probably higher than a lot of people that the first half of next season is going to be a, a significant step for Killian, if you compare it to the first half of last season. So I, I do think the last couple of weeks we've seen some real progress from him. And uh, I think we're going to see some more of that next season. I think 70% is a good number. Um, I think what we are seeing from Killian looks sustainable in a way that a uh, like a hot shooting stretch perhaps might not. Um you know, the obviously the game against Oklahoma City was Killian's last game. This is career high. Um, I think he was eight of twelve from inside the arc and like two of nine from outside it. I think that's something that you're you're going to see continue for the rest of this season at least. the The shooting is going to need like an off season plus of of work, but I do like the. Uh, we talked last week about the aggression. I like the aggression. Um, I've. I love the fact that he's getting results from the aggression. And so like you have a base of confidence to build on. I will say that um, it, it does kind of seem like uh, the way you get more of that aggression out of Killian is not playing alongside Cade. He seems really aware of the fact that like the best option in most situations is to just like let Cade operate. And so uh, you're not maximizing uh, his aggression by placing him next to Cade. Um, that is kind of unfortunate, um, and if he was a better, I think, off-ball shooter, you, that would add, that would alleviate a lot of those concerns. But again, like that's that's going to be an off-season thing. Um, I don't think I think we probably will see Killian in the starting lineup for the rest of this season. Again, only four more games. I think Corey Joseph has landed himself on the injury list with the with like a knee or a back thing. That's like okay, you probably won't see him the rest of the year. Um, but like as far as the long term, as far as next season, we'll see. Right, like we talked about the team's rumor pursuit of Jalen Brunson. We know there's a couple guards that are high in the draft that could be given that opportunity ahead of Killian. Um, and so I, 
I'm just going to enjoy Killian's play for what it is and not necessarily uh, worry about the, the long-term ramifications of such. Yeah, and I agree uh, with you, Laz. Yeah. I think it depends a lot on his off-ball shooting. Yeah. And I, I will say that I don't anticipate a huge leap in just one off-season for off-ball shooting. I think Killian's shot's going to take time. It's more on the level of years than months. Yeah. So I, I tend to prefer him coming off the second unit or coming off the bench and, and leading the second unit and then maybe situationally use him to close games where you need some of that tenacious defense and a secondary ball handler uh, as opposed to the starting lineup. Yeah, I think it's like right now he's shooting like what, like 26% from three, even a bump up to, you know, like a, a still bad, but less bad, like 32 or 33% would, would help a lot in that department, but that still wouldn't be enough next to Cade Cunningham. Right. And so you're, you're right. It's going to, it's going to take some time. Uh, the next question comes from friend of the podcast, uh, Shamik Mohile at Sham Sham God. Give me your way too early 10 man rotation for next year. So Ben, you were smarter than me. You actually like plotted this out. So give me uh give me your 10 man for next year. All right. So uh point guard, Cade Killian Kojo. That's kind of how I see the depth chart there. Shooting guard, I will say that I hope that we have a free agent and or rookie that starts at shooting guard because I, I want the days of Kojo the starter to be over. Then I've got Frank Jackson uh backing that up with Kojo as the third. Again, that's sort of my wish list, not necessarily what I think will happen. I, I would like to see Kojo spend a little more time on the bench. For small forward, uh, I'm going to assume that Jeremy Grant is not here over the long term, and I'm going to say Sadiq, Hami, and Livers. Um, I'm not clear yet where they want to slot Livers long term, so I kind of gave him some of those minutes there at the three and at the four. Uh, and at the four, because I'm assuming a Jeremy Grant trade, I threw Bagley into the starting lineup. But that could easily be switched around if we if we do something in free agency or the draft. So I've got Bagley, free agent slash rookie slash livers. And then at center, um, I think you stick with Stu. Again, unless we do something special in free agency, I like Mitchell Robinson. We'll see what happens there. Backed up by Olenek and then potentially a, a third string guy in the free agency market. I, li- I like that breakdown. Uh, starting lineup next year. Jalen Brunson, Cade Cunningham, uh, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Livers, Isaiah Stewart. Second unit, Killian Hayes, Frank Jackson, Hamadou Diallo, Marvin Bagley, Kelly Olenek. I think that Jalen Brunson is going to be their big free agent splash. And uh, you can throw in whichever like top pick you like into that rotation. But for now, seeing we, how we don't know the results of the lottery, that's where that's where my mind is at. Um, obviously, you you get a t- you get a high pick. You throw in, uh, you, you know, you take out uh, whoever I put in at power forward, and you probably start one of those guys. And then uh, you keep the Marvin Bagley Kelly Olynyk pairing uh, on the bench, and then you kind of go from there. We have uh, we have a future question about uh, the Bagley Stewart pairing that I'm kind of eager to answer. Actually, yeah, it's our next one from uh, Halbridius. What's up, Hal? Is Stewart your long-term center at the five, assuming you just like have it and drafted a center for now? Um, and how does that make you feel about a Stewart Bagley bench rotation long-term? How do you feel about that pairing? And like, does that get the boat? Get does that get the most out of either one of those guys, Ben? 
It's a good question. I think it hinges a little bit on what we mean by long-term for the next two to three sure. seasons. I, I'm totally fine with Stewart as a starting center. I think he's a capable rotation guy. Um, there's currently a piece on the top uh, of Detroit bad Ways right now from Bryce about Isaiah Stewart's defense and his capabilities and skill sets there that I think is worth a read. And I think that is certainly very valuable to the Pistons right now. And I think it's going to be valuable for the next couple seasons while they really form their vision of what they want a contender to be. Uh, but I, I certainly am aware of Stewart's limitations, especially offensively. I think if he wants to carve out a long-term starting role, he's got to figure out what his offensive impact can be in a reliable mm-hmm. and consistent basis. If that turns into a consistent three-point shot, then I can sort of squint and see him and Bagley potentially working next to Cade because in Bagley you get the roll threat and Stewart gets out of the way and gets out to the three-point line to create some of the space, at least being a, uh, a threat to shoot the ball. Um, I think defensively, you're obviously lacking some rim protection there. Stewart is solid defensively, but it's, it's not because he's a great rim protector. So I guess that's a long way of saying short term, I think I'm okay with it as we're continuing to build long term. I think you need, um, I think you need some upgrades. Um, I'm not sure how, how confident I feel that that's a, a starting front, front court for a top four playoff team in the East. I, I lean towards that just not being good enough. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I'm at as well. Um, I don't think Stewart is the you you put it really well Ben. I don't think Stewart is the starting center for a like 55 win team in the East. I just I just don't because of the limitations offensively, right? We've um like last year for I'm thinking of a guy like Clint Capella who was like really impactful on defense. I think he I forget if he all if he made all defense last year or if he was like heavily in consideration for an all defense spot. Um but this year, because of some injuries, kind of sapped some athleticism, and uh, so his defense has waned. And he was always like really reliant on the creation ability of Trey Young, and and so he's had like a much worse year on both ends. And like accordingly, you know, Atlanta has has really struggled. I mean, like he's he's one part of why Atlanta has struggled, but he's I think a, a pretty big part when I've watched the Hawks. And you look at Stewart, and it's really hard to have one guy who is like entirely reliant on his teammates to create shots for him um, in the starting lineup. Who's also like not an amazing elite level, like rim protector. Um, I think Stewart, we've seen a lot of Stewart being asked to switch on to guards and forwards and defend on the perimeter. And I think he's done a really good job of that. Um, Like that is, I think the crux of the piece you talked about that Bryce has up on the front page of Detroit Bad Boys right now. Um, and Stewart last year was good as a rim protector. He's got, you know, great timing, great wingspan, um, you know, eats guys up in, in the post, in the paint. Um, but at the same time, just the, the offensive concerns, it's been two years. He hasn't figured out – he hasn't really, like, solidified a role offensively, and I think that's tricky. Um, and so I'm thinking of Stewart as a like long-term third big off the bench, which is an extremely valuable role for any like contending team. You look at like 
the way Bobby Portis absolutely swung the Eastern Conference Finals, right? It was like that that position can absolutely have a lot of impact, but it doesn't necessarily mean that like Bobby Portis should be in the starting lineup for a championship contender, right? Um, how does that feel? How do I feel about a Stewart Bagley pairing? I liked the Bagley Olenek pairing a little bit more. I understand the desire to get Cade a lob threat, uh, or to have Cade play with a lob threat in the starting lineup that has really opened up Cade's playmaking ability. Um, Jack Kelly, speaking of you know other friends of the podcast, Jack Kelly in his Cade analysis piece earlier this week for Detroit Bad Boys noted like the the rise in assists before and after the Bagley trade for Cade Cunningham, and it was like extremely noticeable. It's like an assist and a half per game. Um, and so I do think you need to preserve that element in the starting lineup. I don't think it has to be, absolutely has to be Marvin Bagley. Um, there are, you know, there are other lob threats. You talked about Mitchell Robinson. Chet, Hol- Chet Holmgren would be a very good lob threat. You know, if the Pistons, like, really want to go out and spend a bunch of money, DeAndre Ayton would be another, like, short roll lob threat guy. Um, so, a, yeah, I think there's uh, a lot of options for the Pistons that don't necessarily have to lock themselves into, like, a a Bagley Stewart pairing or starting Stewart or starting Bagley. I think you can uh, get more out of those big man spots um, without necessarily like sacrificing, uh, you know, what those two guys are contributing to your team right now. Um, it also brings up the question of like what Bagley's next contract is going to look like. Uh, we, I, I don't think we've talked about this yet, Ben. What What's the level of uh, like annual per year value you're willing to give Marvin Bagley after all this? Yeah, I think this is a good question. One, obviously, Troy Weaver and his team are considering from every possible angle, right? I, I think what I what I lean toward is the type of contract that gives Bagley an incentive to take the next step in his development very, very seriously, which is to say, you know, maybe a shorter term deal. We've seen Weaver do that with Kelly Olenek with Jeremy Grant uh, and one that's team friendly. So maybe there's a third or fourth year that has some sort of a, a player option on it, right? That continues to give Bagley incentives to develop. Um, I really have liked Marvin Bagley a lot more in Detroit than I anticipated liking him. And I think the main reason for that is because he has seemed content to play off of Cade Cunningham and other players as opposed to trying to do a whole lot by himself. And I think that is the absolutely perfect role for him. I think his individual offensive creation is, you know, it's better than a guy like Isaiah Stewart, but it's not something you want as a primary option. So all of that to say, if, if Bagley is bought into that role, right, he's bought into being the lob threat to give a little bit of floor stretch, you know, even though he hasn't necessarily been a great shooter so far and commits to improving on defense. You know, I can see the amount per year um, somewhere in the, the Kelly Olenek range, but what I would not want to do is like, you know, some long-term four or five year deal. I don't think you want to lock yourself into a player with as many question marks. I think one of our friends on Twitter asked about injury history and mentioned Bagley's injury history as a potential concern. I think that's real. I think that's viable. And I think it's one more reason you look to do something extremely team friendly. Um, I also don't think, you know, if, if, if it's something like the qualifying offer, you know, if someone comes and makes a huge offer for Bagley, I don't think you have to feel like you're forced into retaining him. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, 
uh, Laz, you know, it's not as if his skill set is totally unique in the NBA, even though it is extremely valuable to a guy like Kate Cunningham. So that's kind of where I lean two to three years, maybe four years if there's something creative on the, the option side. Um, but but not more than Kelly Olynyk kind of money. I don't think his impact necessarily warrants something like that. It's interesting, right? Because my my initial thought is to agree with you and say like, oh yeah, something in the Kelly Olynyk range, like the twelve to fifteen million dollar range, with fifteen being like the very very high end. It's like that sounds about fair for what Marvin Bagley uh, can contribute to this team. But then you look up and it's like you're paying a combined thirty million dollars to your bench bigs yeah and like that that feels weird um from a like a team allocation standpoint like i think you could probably get away with it because you know sadiq's on a rookie contract killian's on a rookie contract isaiah's on a rookie contract kate is on a rookie contract that's bigger than a lot of rookie contracts but like still fairly affordable for what he is so i think like yeah for two three years you can get away with you know paying your bench big lineup 30 million dollars combined but like from a long term when you by the time you need to max Cade and probably pay Sadiq a lot maybe not an exact max but a lot of money that's going to be kind of untenable and so yeah you want to do something I think maybe a little bit more short term like you've been saying uh, short term high value for for Marvin Bagley um, with perhaps a lot of like uh, incentives uh, in entered into the contract right like here are is like here's a field goal percentage uh in contract incentive right you shoot over 65 percent from the floor that's like an extra million stuff like that right uh yeah 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 and i think too we'll unpack this a little bit in some of the other questions but i think the the timeline that weaver is eyeing for a playoff push and a playoff run factors into this pretty significantly right so We'll talk great about it. Tra- great transition, Ben. Let's go to the <laughs> next, next question from at Fluffy Sock Ninja, which is a that's definitely a Twitter username. Would you prefer the team continue the slow build or go hard in free agency to try and take a substantial leap for next season? So, Ben, what what is Troy Weaver's plan? For this <laughs> yeah, so I will say that I do prefer a little bit of a slow rollout. I think. You know, we've seen Cade develop from his second month in the NBA to where he's at now. There's no question about it. But I, th- I think it's perfectly reasonable to accept some of these, accept, expect, sorry, expect some of the bigger leaps to come as a result of a full offseason, right? So I prefer to let Cade develop for another two to three offseasons before I really commit to what I think is a playoff roster. So I'm, I'm fine slow rolling this a little bit. Um, I like the idea of some short-term contracts that give you kind of placeholder player types. That's kind of what we saw with Kelly Olenek, right? Like a, a stretch big who can do some other stuff with the basketball. That's what we see potentially with Marvin Bagley, the vertical lob threat. Um, but, you know, unless it's a guy like Mitchell Robinson or you mentioned DeAndre Ayton, like I don't want to see them go give close to max money to anybody just yet. I think I would make exceptions for, for Aiton, and I don't think Robinson's going to command a max, but we'll see. Um, I, I would just prefer to continue on this trajectory where you're looking for player skill sets and archetypes that facilitate Cade's production and his development. And then when we get to that fourth 
season, that fifth season that puts Cade right around 23, 24, 25 years old. I think that's when you really try to push hard. Uh, because look, I mean, you look at the top of the Eastern Conference right now. It's not like Giannis is going anywhere, right? Like yeah. there's still some really, really good players that the Pistons simply won't be able to touch in one or two seasons, um, no matter how good Kate is. There's just some phenomenal talent at the top of the Eastern Conference right now. So I think you you play it patiently. Um, you give Cade time to develop. You figure out, you know, like our first question of the day, you figure out, is he a guy who's going to be using 35% of your possessions or 28, right? That matters when mm-hmm. it comes to what sort of players you put around him. So I, I prefer patience. I also think one thing they ought to be considering is not necessarily spending all of their money. I think there is potentially an opportunity to to do some lopsided trades. That's one thing uh, the Pistons haven't necessarily done a lot of, but we've seen other teams in the league do it. I'm not I'm not closed off to that idea either. Yeah, I from what from the like the tenor of the coverage around the team, it seems like they would like to make a play and push next season. I think Cade is good enough. He's, Cade is showing that he's good enough to, if he's able to play, you know, seventy-five plus games, he's able to to get you to the play-in level. Right now, I am looking at the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, Brooklyn is two games over five hundred with forty wins and tenth place. Um, could you get to a forty-win pace with Cade and some additions next year? probably not that's like that'd be doubling their win total almost that seems kind of hard but it does seem like that's something that the front office is interested in um the one thing i will say is that Cade is ready to go um i like i think he's ready to be he's shown he's ready to be a almost all-star caliber player in year two and that that really places a lot of expectations on your team the Pistons have another high draft pick this offseason. We will see who they end up selecting in this year's draft and how ready to go that guy is. And I think that um, that will also that will have another like big impact on um, how competitive the team wants to be right away. Because if the core of the team is you know Sadiq Bay, Kate Cunningham, draft pick X in this year's draft. Um, if it's somebody who's like equally like Cade, uh, equally as like sort of productive uh, as Cade, or relatively as close as close to Cade in production, um, like that's a nice core to build around. And I think like that that, that now you're talking about like a, the core of like a 40 win team right away, um, especially like given that Sadiq will be a little bit older um, and like sli- a little further along in his development. Um, but if you get a guy who if you get a guy who in this year's draft who ends up on more of like the Killian Isaiah development plan where they're going to need a couple years, I think that uh, that put you you need to take the time to develop those that high draft pick and not try and uh, push too hard on on the rest of the roster. And so I think I think the slow play for at least one more season is the way to go. But I I do wonder if that's the direction they end up taking. It really seems like. Uh, they want to be competitive right away. Cade's a really competitive guy. Um, it would not surprise me if um, if they tried if they went into the if they went into next season with the explicit goal of like host of making a play in game, right? 
Yeah, and let me give a caveat too. Like, I think it depends on the age of the players you're targeting, right? So, like a Jalen Brunson, a Mitchell Robinson, DeAndre Aiden, those guys are all relatively young, right? They're mm-hmm. heading into their primes, they're approaching their primes. Like, I don't see an issue throwing a big offer at one of those guys because you anticipate five to six years of really high level play from all of those guys, right? Um, so that would not bother me at all. And honestly, that still almost feels patient, right? Because you're still spending your money on relatively young players if they strike out on those types of guys in particular then i i really like the idea of two to three year contracts for guys like kelly and linick who can be productive who can help you be competitive but they don't necessarily push you over the top the way one of those bigger name guys might do yeah and who can you know be traded on those contacts yeah yeah, on those contracts like later um for other stuff all right, that's a good question. Thank you, Fluffy Sock Ninja. <laughs> Next question comes from Dominic Sai. Who's your top overall pick? It's just flat out. All right, Ben. Who, if the Pistons get the number one pick, who would you take? Oh man, I think I would take that. <laughs> really? I think I would. Yeah. Okay. I think I, I, think I would take Chet too. And uh, I'm gonna have a big board coming out after the season. That will explain why I would take Chet number one. So you're going to have to sit in suspense and read that when it comes out. Um, and I need to work on that and finish that. And maybe Chance will let me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's interesting that we would both select Chet uh, number one overall. What's, what's your rationale since I have to hide mine? Yeah, that's fine. So I, I think the missing piece of the equation, what I would really, really, really need to see is Chet physically in some sort of a pre-draft workout like what can his body handle obviously we can't talk about longevity we no one can answer that for sure but Mm -hmm. you know where is he at physically what can he handle in terms of um nba physiques right like i think about a guy like isaiah uh, stewart not necessarily the biggest guy in in the nba but obviously super tough it would be really interesting to see chet go up against a guy like that and you know how does his offensive skill set hold up Stewart's able to move his feet, presumably competently enough to, to stay in front of Chet. He can harass him with the wingspan and all of those sorts of things. So I would want to know that before I actually made the pick in real life, right? But right now, I think what I've seen from him, he has this just incredibly unique sort of skills that if if he is able to translate to the NBA, and it doesn't have to be in year one, it could be year two, three, or four, if he's able to do in the NBA what he can do in college, there's just not a lot of NBA players who can do what he does. And I think you you look at Cade and his skill set, you look at Chet and that skill set, you've got you've got two sets of skills that are, you know, incredibly unique, right? Like those are the sets of skills that are probably not once in a generation, but pretty close, right? Like guys like Cade don't come around often. Guys like Chet, if he can pull through at the NBA level level, don't come around often. I mean, you'd have a one-two punch there. That's pretty phenomenal. I I like where I like where your head's at with that, Ben. We'll move <laughs> on to the next one. Uh, keeping him in suspense. From Matt Way, uh, DBB or friend of the program, Matthew Way, uh, Evan Scholar, Matthew Way. Shout out to the Evan Scholars. Yeah. What's the right balance for Killian in terms of aggressively seeking out a shot and creating for others? Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit. Yeah. I mean, for me. His playmaking seems to me to be his bread and butter. I think to be an effective playmaker, 
he has to at least earn the respect of the defense, particularly in the paint, in order to draw defenders to him. That Obviously, that sets up his playmaking. We've seen glimpses of that over the past two weeks. He's had some really nice finishes, some creativity. Uh, it seems like he's learning to adapt to NBA defenses, knock on wood, a little bit. So I absolutely want to see um, where he's at right now, maybe maybe turn up the dial another, another notch or two. Um, as long as that's coinciding with an improvement in his skill set and ability to finish. The three-point shooting, again, I talked about it. I think it's a longer-term goal. What I'd love to see next season is what we've seen over the last two weeks, plus one, right? Turn the knob, turn the knob just a little bit, and I, I think you have a really, really effective um, playmaking, facilitating point guard off the bench who gives the second unit defensive bigs especially – trouble because they're going to have to adapt because Killian gets to the rim so well already in his sophomore season. So that that's what I want to find from Killian. I want his ability and the threat of him finishing to open up his ability to facilitate because that's where I think his strength is. That That is exactly where I was going to go, Ben. I think he the reason Killian had struggles earlier in his career um, was because he was – uh, so used to the idea of the threat of his passing opening up like scoring lanes and NBA defenses want to see if they don't think you can score, they want to see you score. Uh, they want to do the thing they think you're, you're worse at. Um, and clearly like his, his offense wasn't in the place where it needed to be earlier in his career. And so I think that, and as we, we see him, as we see him attack the rim more, I think that's been opening up more passing lanes for him. Thinking of the the corner three he hit uh, to Sadiq at the end of the Philadelphia game, for example, where he, he drew like two guys on the help uh, and hit the hit the like fake reverse into the corner three pass, like that that was really nice. And I think that that's that's what you need to do at the NBA level. You need to be the defenses don't care if you can pass; they care if you can score. And so he needs to, I think, turn the aggressiveness up. A little bit in terms of scoring and that will unlock the defensive rotations the the help attention the you know the extra half half second on a hedge that will uh, amplify his playmaking ability and so i think we are we are currently seeing a good balance from killian but i think he needs to be slightly more aggressive in attacking the rim in attacking a set defense it was it was really good to see him do that, even against Oklahoma City. And like I said, that was a that was a G League game, and I felt very strongly that that was like not actual NBA basketball. But it was still good to see him, you know, decide to attack the rim relentlessly um, and not look to not look to pass as much. And you could see the impact it had on an admittedly terrible like OKC defense. He was able to hit corner shooters whenever he wanted because the, the help was collapsing all the time on his drives. And so, yeah, I think we, I don't think Neely Killian needs to shoot what he shot like 25 times in the OKC game or something like that. I don't think he needs to do that every single game. And obviously he won't play as many minutes as he played against OKC when, uh, when the rest of the Pistons starters are, are in the lineup. But I do think that that was that the mentality he showed in that game was a great example of like where you would like to see him be coming into next season. All right. All right, Ben, from at my underscore Pistons, who would you throw a two-way two for next year? So the Pistons currently have Jamarco Pickett and Chris Smith 
in on two-way contracts. Chris Smith, we got actually a note on him earlier this week. Uh, he had He's had a knee injury. He's had a procedure to, I think, was uh, like help reconstruct the, uh, the ACL that uh, he injured uh, prior to the draft. He was having trouble with it. Um, he's done for the rest of the year. Any uh, Are there any two-way contract guys that are really catching your eye right now, Ben? So I don't know if you saw this, but there there is a report from about an hour ago that the Pistons just signed or plan to sign Carson Edwards to. I did see that, yeah. A, a contract. I'm not sure exactly how that fits in with this question, but that came out of nowhere with four games left, right, in the in the NBA season. That That's surprising. I don't know. This, this is not my area of expertise. This is something I think you are probably much better position to answer and so i'm gonna i'm just gonna shut up and, and listen to you talk about this one this is also not my area of expertise i've not <laughs> dug, i've not dug into like past the the top 15 guys uh right now and so i'm gonna throw it uh at um, at my underscore pistons you should follow steve Pol- peltier on twitter oh uh, yes that's a good point steve has your steve has a top 100 board coming out soon i think for the detroit bad boys um, like he will have some people for for you to for you to consider absolutely. So be on the lookout for that. But we we can't really help you on that one. Uh, sorry. Okay, from at D Whirl, D H E E Whirl. Oh, that's a new one. Will Saban Lee and Luca Garza ever be anything more than an end of the bench players? Will they even be around next season? Ben, this is kind of a real question. It is kind of a real question. Uh, look, I loved signing Luca, giving him a chance. Um, I unfortunately he did not do what needed to be done, in my opinion, to to earn a spot for next season. Um, I would love to see him stick somewhere because I love the underdog story, and it's weird to think of a player of the year being an underdog, but that really is what he was. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say I, I'll be surprised if he's around next season. Saban Lee to me has been the surprise of the season. I think after the Pistons selected Cade that really impacted their plans for Saban Lee. We've seen him play primarily in the G League. We've only seen him in fits and starts, even while the team is presumably actively trying to lose, which has been surprising. You know, Corey Joseph has clearly been the guy they have looked to. And I think they really have given him as many minutes as they have because they selected Cade Cunningham. They wanted to have a secondary ball handler who could also shoot to help shepherd the offense and carry at least a little bit of the backcourt weight um, that, that Cade has to carry. So that's been the surprise for me. Saban Lee hardly playing at all has been the surprise. Um, if he can shoot the ball, uh, if he can shoot the three ball at an average percentage, I could see him carving out like a, a th- primarily third point guard, but occasionally playing some backup minutes. Cause I, I do like his defense. I like his length. Um, Will he be around next season? I mean, I'm looking at his contract like now. Like, is he is he guaranteed next season, Laz? I forgot already. I just looked at it. I mean, if he's on a guaranteed contract, it's kind of hard to see him going anywhere. Um, but yeah, will he stick in the NBA? I, I think a lot of that depends on whether he can he can shoot the basketball. Point guards who can't shoot are becoming uh, rarer and rarer a thing in today's NBA. I think yeah, twenty two, twenty three is guaranteed for yeah, Saban. So that's right because they they surprised everyone when they signed him to that. Yeah, and then so yeah, he he will be here. I think twenty three, twenty four is the team option. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard yeah. to see him going anywhere, but he might. I don't know. Maybe he just does another season like he did this year, just back and forth in the G League. I think it. I, I would 
thoroughly expect Corey Joseph to opt into his contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little over $5 million. That seems right about what he ought to be making. So if Corey Joseph opts in, it's hard to see Saban having a big role again, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the Killian's move to the bench, and it looks like that's where he's going to be for the foreseeable future, that really kind of put a damper on what you should be able to expect from Saban. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and like you, we, you talked about Corey Joseph. I, we talked about Jalen Brunson a little bit earlier. If they're going to go out and spend a bunch of money on Jalen Brunson, that like really puts a damper on what you can expect from Saban Lee moving forward for the team. And so like, yeah, with the guaranteed money um, for next year, I think you could see another taxi season from him where he's playing a lot with the Motor City Crews. He's coming up. If there's an injury or something like that. Um, but really honing uh, what he has to offer from a perimeter shot making perspective uh, in the G League. Um, but it's tough for Saban because it does seem like at times the G League is not really a challenge for him. Yeah, and so you you wonder uh, you wonder how much he might need uh, like NBA practices to to improve over G League practices over G League defenders uh, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's tough. I think Saban, I think Saban could be an NBA backup point guard. I think that's like a that's a fair assessment of where uh, his NBA destiny could be. Um, so I think that's more than a quote unquote end of the bench guy. Uh, will he hit that in Detroit? I I, I can't say. It, it's looking kind of cloudy right now uh, for that situation for Saban in Detroit. Luca Garza, uh, Luca, lots of energy, lots of passion. Fully guaranteed. Or, uh, they signed him to an actual roster spot instead of the two way, which surprised me. But um, yeah, I would. I think he is just an injured the bench guy, and I would not be surprised if he was not around next season. They might need the roster spot, um, which would be, yeah. I you know, Luca, you you, you mentioned the underdog story. Uh, it's just like yeah, he's he's a good dude. I don't. I, I think people think like I hate Luca because uh, you know I don't like watching him play but like no he's a he's a good dude like it's just uh he's probably just not an nba player and that's that's unfortunate yeah and like look having him as your third big just being a cheerleader on the bench with tons of positive energy there are situations where that could work for him right making a minimum contract in a handful of places there's nothing wrong with that there are very few human beings on the face of the planet who are capable of that so there's no shame in that for luca no absolutely all right, Gabriel Guzman at Gabe's Left Brain asked three questions, which is a lot because we still got some questions to get to. So, Gabe, thank you for the questions, but I'm only going to pick the one I think is fun, and that's the last one. So, Ben, what's your favorite performance of the season from anybody on this business? Team? Oh, man. So should it be one of Cade's triple doubles, right? Like, take your pick of the trip dubs, I think. I mean, there's there's a Sadiq 50-point game in there. There's a Sadiq 50-point game in there. That's true. Uh, I, you mentioned Oklahoma City being a G League game. That's true, but I think Killian's performance also stands out a little bit. I mean, that's not nearly on the same level, obviously, mm-hmm. but recency bias and all that stands out. Um, I don't know, man. I have to give it. I have to give it to one of Cade's triple doubles, but I'm not sure I want to narrow it down. <laughs> that that's totally fair. The the performance I think will that I, like there's. There's only a couple, like, I've watched way too much of the Detroit Pistons over the last, like, six or seven years. And there are there are certain moments that, like, stick out in your brain for seasons, right? Like, the Reggie Jackson fourth quarter comeback against Portland, right? Like, Reggie had, like, a 
He had like a 30 and 15 game against Phoenix that year. That was also just like, wow. Like, I, I cannot believe he's doing this. The, the, the Blake Griffin 50 point game against Philadelphia or yeah. the, um, it was like the, where he had like nine threes against OKC, uh, like, and later in the season. Like, though, like, stuff that just like sticks out in your head. Um, the stuff that sticks out in my head about this season is the home game against Utah where Cade, like that was the first time I think I really like saw it's like what Cade could be in the NBA in like two to three years. That was when he's like making Bogdan Bogdanovich do like the worm on the floor <laughs> trying to defend him. It's just like he's taking uh, he's taking Rudy Gobert like to the rim and finishing over him. It's just like just everything you wanted to see from a perimeter shot creator like you got from Cade in that game. It's like that was the first game. It's like I knew Cade was special. But that was the game where I, when I was like, whoa, like this, like this is real. This is happening like right in front of me right now, not two, three years from now, like right now in front of my eyes. So I think the the performance against that home game against Utah will be what uh, would be like a flashbulb moment for me uh, for the rest of uh, this season. Well, I have Thanks to give a shout out though. to uh, Sadiq Bay setting the record for threes too, right? Yeah, it's not a single performance. It's a body of work. But that's that's a record that's probably going to stick around for a while, right? Like unless he, he resets it himself, which is <laughs> yeah. also possible. Yeah, he's going to make over 200 threes this year, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks for the question, Gabriel. Um, from Jeffrey Cameron, Cameron at Jeff Cam. Uh, my 11-year-old, who's a big fan of the pod, shout out to uh, 11-year-old Jack, who's listening. Appreciate you listening, man. Wants to know what who you guys want to see the Pistons target in free agency and who you want the team to keep from the current team. Not from the core, but from the bench. So, Ben... Uh, who do you want to see them target in free agency? So I mentioned Mitchell Robinson. That that's mm-hmm. kind of my interesting one to watch because I think it depends on the amount. Um, you know, how much is he worth, and, and could the Pistons provide a competitive offer to that to that market value? Right. I think he's potentially a guy who won't get offered as much as his productivity warrants. And if that happens, I think the Pistons ought to jump on it. I know DeAndre Ayton, Laz, that, that's one of your big guys, so I'll, I'll let you jump on that. You mentioned Jalen Brunson. He's another one. If you're going to go big, big-ish anyway, those are the three guys that I would sort of be watching. Uh, in terms of guys that we keep from the bench, I'm afraid Frank Jackson Stan, he's had a hard year, but I really like when he's playing well and healthy, I really like what he, he brings to the bench unit, right? just a spark plug offensively. When he's been healthy, we've seen him attack the rim and get up a little bit. And then when he's healthy, obviously his three-point shooting is a real problem. Um, Other guys on the bench, like, I mean, honestly, this ties in with another one of the questions that we received, which is uh, which role players are expendable and could be upgraded. Like, I feel like pretty much the entire bench is expendable and could be upgraded. Like that, you can't be sentimental when you're trying to rebuild a team. Um, I like Hami a lot as well. He's really impressed me this season. He's just such a fun change of pace to watch. Um, so those would be the two bench guys that I that I can say I really like. Isaiah Livers as well. I mean, he's on such a, a small contract, it'd be hard to see him go anywhere anyways. Uh, but those would be the two guys that personally I'd like to keep around from the bench unit. Everyone else, Marvin Bagley, we'll throw him in there. Not sure if he's bench or a starter. Um but really, though, I, I think everybody except for Cade probably ought to be considered expendable, at least in the sense that if, if you have an opportunity to upgrade the roster and make an improvement on overall talent and or fit with Cade, pretty much everybody should be a, a part of that conversation. 
No, that's a good point. That's cutthroat. Like, uh, like I responded to that guy, but <laughs> it's a good point. Um, who I want to see the Pistons target in free agency? You mentioned Jalen Brunson, DeAndre Aiden. Those are the two big fish. If you can't get those, just re-sign your guys and go from there. Um, Brunson in particular, I think, is like the the swing piece. Um, Dallas traded for Spencer Dinwiddie um, and fully admitted that it's like it's not Jalen Brunson insurance. We'd love to have Jalen Brunson back, but like if we can't, it's like we we got this other guy. So that's a uh, you can kind of see the wheels turning there. I think Jalen Brunson could be had, and I wouldn't be mad if the Pistons did what it took to uh, to sign him. And who I want to keep from the current team on the bench, I think I think Bagley. I think Bagley's the most uh, weirdly the most like important bench player. Yeah. Just because the the level of productivity you get from that guy, um, at you know, whatever contract we hope he ends up signing, like, you know, a three year thirty five million dollar deal or something like that. It's like uh Guys who can just like roll out of bed and score fifteen points a night, like don't and are willing to come off the bench and just like catch lobs, like those guys don't grow on trees. Like that, that's a really valuable player, and so I think uh, Bagley is the the guy to keep uh, from the current roster coming off the bench for now. Uh, and Jack, keep your ears open if you're still listening an hour into this. You can expect <laughs> us to do a, a full free agency breakdown, so we'll we'll oh, hit this sure. question again sometime this off season. Yeah, definitely. All right, Ben, uh, from Piston of the Day, at Piston of the Day. We talked about this a little bit in the last question, but do you think Isaiah Livers has what it takes to carve out a rotation spot next season? So I think guys who can shoot 43% from three. Um, Is that what you're are, shooting right now? Yeah, I had to look wow. at I did a double take when I looked <laughs> at the stats. I could. I was like, wait, really? That's really what he's shooting right now? So like, if he's a 40-plus percent three-point shooter, then – yeah, I mean, guys like that are are extremely valuable right now. Um, and he's competent, I think, pretty much everywhere else. So uh, the, the thing to keep in mind, I think, with Livers is that he's a bit older than most other rookies. He's closing in on 24 years old. So his ceiling is probably not super high, right? Like Livers, who he is now, maybe makes some incremental progress, but but probably doesn't make giant leaps. I think you can certainly have room for him in your rotation, even if he's not a full-time fixture, like you can certainly envision him playing situationally against certain matchups or lineups or things like that. We also saw some flashes of his athleticism at, at times this season. I think he's the kind of guy that you love to have on a value contract, right? Because it, uh, like right now, the, the rookie contract is extremely valuable to the Pistons, right? He's not making much money at all. You can plug him into a bunch of different situations when you need his skill set. Um, but but when you start looking at, you know, what is he worth over the long term, that's when it gets to be not quite as clear. I, I will say I think he's certainly done enough over his um, 15 or so games that he's played this season to warrant, to warrant a serious look um, over the course of the rest of this season, which is only four games at this point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, you absolutely keep him around uh, because – at a minimum, I think you can see him as your, your third swing man, right? And and again, anyone who can shoot 43% from three, you want those kind of guys around. So Livers is has played 15 NBA games, 280 NBA minutes, and he's 22 of 51 from three. So that's not like for, you know, for as many minutes as he's played, that's not a terrible sample. I, and, you know, the shooting is what he was known for coming out of college. And so... I don't think it's unreasonable to think that 
uh, livers could shoot, you know, in excess of 40% um, off the bench for a team. I do think he has take, done what it takes to carve out a rotation spot next season, but I think it will, whether or not he does, won't necessarily be dependent on him. It will be on what the business do around yes. him, right? Yes. yes. If they, you know, choose not to exercise the team options on like Hamadou and Frank, for example, like that opens up a spot. If uh, they make, if they sign like a Jalen Brunson and you have to retain Corey Joseph and, you know, all of a sudden the guard room's pretty crowded. It's like maybe he's playing in the G League, right? It's just, it, it depends. But I do think that um, Livers has shown enough to the point where I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable with him on the floor against NBA bench lineups, which is um, a good place to be as, as a rookie. Um, you mentioned the his uh, advanced age for a rookie Ben, but like he he really does play uh, very intelligently, and so I think that's uh, that's much appreciated. Um, from Parcher at Ben Parcher thirteen, this is a good one, Ben. We haven't really talked about this guy a whole whole lot. What do you think happens with Jeremy Grant this summer? Yeah, this is this is one of the biggest questions. So I I think he's probably well not probably he is their best trade asset of any of the guys that you're actually gonna trade right. You're not trading K and Sadiq for example. Um, he's still coveted by a number of teams. This year there just was not the right mix of return assets to make it worth it. You know I, I can certainly envision a scenario where the Pistons pick in the top three. They pick a guy that they they think maybe plays. Um, you know, that four or five role, you know, obviously Chet's not playing the four, but assuming that happens, I think he probably gets traded. Um, you know, my opinion is I, what I don't want to happen is to re up for like a three or four year deal. I just don't think mm-hmm. that timeline works with the Pistons because I think that um, you don't want to lose him for nothing. So I think you try to trade him for uh, maybe some picks, maybe for, two rotation guys who fill out a piece of your roster that that's left open because of your other peripheral moves. So I'm going to say, I think he is not a piston by the start of next season. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm going to call my shot even a little bit closer. I think he is traded to the Portland trailblazers mm-hmm. this off season. The trailblazers currently have the, their own pick, which would be the sixth overall pick. I think, I think they owe that pick, but it's like top 10 protected and they're, they're probably going to be in the top 10. They currently also right now uh, would get the 12th pick from new Orleans. I think if the pick is protected like five to 14, so if it goes into the top four, they don't get it. But if it's, you know, uh, somewhere between five and 14, they get it right now. That pick is 12th. I think like you trade that pick and they have the 36th overall pick in the, this year's draft. You trade like 12 and 36 for Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant fits into their uh, conveniently sized uh, trade exception they created this uh, with the CJ McCollum uh, trade. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I think Jeremy Grant ends up a blazer this off season. Um, you see, you know, maybe an exchange of like some other guys in terms of assets, but like those, those two picks are what I'm looking at. Um, That's with, a good landing spot for him too. I think I've, I think, uh, like they've made a real concerted effort to just like put a lot of athleticism around Damian Lillard. I think that's a good plan. That's a better plan than what they were doing before. I think Jeremy Grant would enjoy being the second slash third option in Portland with a very clear hierarchy of like Damian Lillard is above you. And I think he can, he could work with that. Um, we've seen him perform in, in the Western conference before. It's like, yeah, I think, I think that would work for, for all parties. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of that. And I don't think he would be, 
uh, unhappy to be to be in Portland, playing next to a guy with uh, Damian Lillard's um, pedigree for sure. Um, also a fan of the head coach over there. Oh, great, great point. Poor Chauncey, man. He, he, <laughs> yeah, what a rough first season. What, Jeez. Yeah, that's, I'm sure that's not what he had in mind. When no, he it kind of resembles sure. his like the start of his NBA career. <laughs> for sure. Um, all right, Ben. The last question we have is the cutthroat uh, role players expendable question. We kind of answered that already. Is there anyone else that you think is just like truly expendable coming, expendable coming off the bench? I mean, look, I think everybody, everybody ought to be when you're rebuilding, you can't afford to be sentimental. You, you obviously don't put Kate in that conversation. You obviously don't put Sadiq in that conversation. I don't think you put Killian in that conversation, although I I would by no means call him untouchable. Mm -hmm. I think if you're Troy Weaver, you have to be absolutely committed to doing whatever it takes to improve the roster. And uh, you, you can't afford to be tied to any guy because he was your guy, right? Like a, a Hami or something like that. So yeah, it's, it's the, it goes way back to when Joe Dumars, if you remember this, the long-term fans will, he talked about there being no sacred cows. I, I think that kind of has to be the approach. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes to, to improve the roster. For sure. To answer the, I, I agree with what you're saying, Ben. And so I'm going to answer the question a little bit differently. I think the least expendable role player on the roster is probably Marvin Bagley. Again, gives the Pistons um, sorely needed vertical athleticism element that they don't have anywhere else on the roster. And so if you uh, expend Marvin Bagley, you have to go like replace him with another player instead of you have to find somebody else instead of just like elevating somebody else that's currently on your roster uh, to do the things he does. And so I think that makes Marvin Bagley the, the least expendable uh the most expendable role player on this team is probably Corey joseph right? <laughs> who'd have thought yeah we, we you know talked a lot about um you know pistons pursuit of other point guards uh in the offseason talked about killian coming off the bench talked about there being no minutes for saving really right now um yeah Corey, and you talked about the team option or the player option for Corey joseph he's probably going to exercise that player option um but like, yeah, if you could find a nice cushy backup landing spot for Corey Joseph in return for a top forty draft pick and like some stuff, like I don't think anybody would be mad about that. So and like again, like I don't have the visceral disdainment I did for Corey Joseph at the end of last year. It's like I think he did his job this year, and I can appreciate that. But uh, you know, with the with the, all the ball handlers like you have on the roster, like or what you need to see from other guys, whether or not they're worthy of handling the ball, like you you know Corey Joseph is not part of this team's long term future, and I think that makes him, makes him super duper expendable. So yeah, thanks everybody who asked or who asked us questions. Um, I was like I was going through the week, man, and I was just like I was staring at the sheet. And I was like, man, like, I don't know what to talk about, but I know who knows what to talk about. It's the <laughs> listeners. So thank you all for, for listening and uh, for submitting questions. It really appreciate We really appreciate it. And it makes uh, us able to do the stuff that we want to do. So Ben, the last four games of the season for the Pistons are the Pacers tonight or today at five o'clock. Is that night, afternoon, what, evening, what, what we, evening is it, they play the Pacers after before you listen to this, but after we record it, let's just go with that. Then they have a couple days off. They play the Mavericks on Wednesday. 
They play the Milwaukee Bucks on Friday. And then the last game of the season, they play the Philadelphia 76ers on Sunday. Ben, the season will be over pretty soon. It's going to be over pretty soon. Those last two games, which you think ought to be losses, aren't necessarily guaranteed to be. If everybody rests. Yeah, they could be. The Bucks and Sixers could just be shutting everything down. So, yeah, I mean, the Pistons playing themselves into like the fourth or fifth lottery s- slot kind of scares me. I mean, maybe fifth is not still possible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like Indiana, for example, if they beat Indiana, that, that works against them in two different ways, right? Because they win and, and Indy loses. So, uh, yeah, number four, ugh. That, that opens up. The reason I've complained about this on Twitter is because the, the farther down you slide, the, the more you open up your possibilities of going to like six, seven, eight range. And that would feel, I think, pretty disappointing after the amount of losses we've had the last two seasons. So I'm looking at the standings now. If they lose to the Pacers today, they can't catch them in the, uh, in the lottery standings. The Pistons have 22 wins. Pacers have 25 wins. If the Pacers win, they'll have 26 wins when the Pistons have uh, three games left to play. Oh, okay. Win. Yeah. Okay. So gotcha. they should, they should lose that game. It'd be fine. Um, that we, we talked about that Oklahoma city game being a must lose game. They obviously want it. Um, the four slot does kind of open up the weirdest realm of possibilities. You could get the first pick. You can pick like seventh is just an awful place to, to seemingly be. Um, but I think they are, they have the same number of wins as the Oklahoma city thunder. And I don't know what the tiebreaker is if they end the season with the same record, I think it's a coin flip. And so a literal coin flip for odds would just Oof, like, feel. That's, that's rough. Awful. <laughs> after, that rough. after the season we went through, yeah, you got to flip a coin. Um, but uh, I continue to submit that the basketball gods look with heavy disdain upon Oklahoma city for uh, <laughs> the tank job that they continue to pull off year after year. And so maybe the coin flip will be on our side. And in that case, Ben, <laughs> All right, Ben, uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find uh, what you're going to be working on uh, in the future. Yeah, at BR Golker on Twitter. Stay tuned to the podcast. Obviously, we'll be doing things like postseason grades. We'll be doing things like a deep dive into free agency. So obviously, stay tuned. Appreciate your support and uh, everything else over the course of this year. For for sure. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e i cannot believe we got an hour out of these podcasts thank you uh sorry for the extended episode but we appreciate you sticking with us till the end thank you for listening and we will talk to you all next week see you